Welcome to Trent Voices, the Trent University Alumni Affairs show on Trent Radio. I'm your host, Donald Fraser of Alumni Affairs. It is Tuesday, March the 8th, and this is episode 32. Today we're going to be playing an interview that took place just last month at Alumni House. My guest, Yua Hedrick Wong. Uh, Yua is currently Chief Economist and Chair of the Academic Advisory Council at MasterCard Center for Inclusive Growth. Now, uh, the MasterCard Center is a group that might just make you doubt what you think you know about multinational financial organizations. He's also the Global Economic Advisor for MasterCard Worldwide, and prior to this, well, he was, he was Economic Advisor to MasterCard in Asia-Pacific, Middle East, and Africa, and he, uh, he served as an Economic Strategist and Advisor to over 50 leading multinational corporations. Uh, he's advised executives and boards of directors for over 100 leading international businesses. He's delivered keynote addresses at various prestigious conferences and uh, to, to many major organizations across the world. His regular commentator interviewed on CNBC, BBC World, CNN, CCTV, uh, which is in China, CBN in Shanghai, BTV Beijing, Channel News Asia, Bloomberg Forum, and many others. It's a, it's a fantastic interview. I hope you do enjoy it. Ladies and gentlemen, my chat with Yua Hedrick Huang. Um, welcome to, or, or I guess I should properly say, welcome back. Welcome back, indeed. Welcome, yes. welcome back to Trent University and yeah. Peterborough. When was, uh, when was the last time you were here? It was 40 years ago. Last time, so the last time you yeah. foot, set foot here was 40 years yes, ago. Yes, no exaggeration. <laughs> okay, and, and here you are as, as part of our Alumnus in Residence uh, program. And uh, so how's the experience of living on Trent it, it, campus 40 it, it, years later? Well, uh, first of all, I, I, I've been given this wonderful opportunity to, to stay at, at the alumni house. And of course, uh, for those who remember f- way, way back when the al- alumni house actually was the, uh, the master's lodge. So uh, the, the master of Champlain College and, and his family lived here. And so I remember the last time when I was in this particular room, okay. I was serving Sherry. Oh, yes. To visiting professors because the master was entertaining and mm-hmm. he, he recruited a few of us. As waiters, were you wearing were you wearing gowns? No, no, oh, okay. no. We, we didn't wear. This. <laughs> but but we we tried to put on a clean shirt. Yeah, and, <laughs> you know. Uh, but well, I you know so so it's really really interesting just to to look around you know think back mm-hmm. you know uh, it's, it's bringing back so many lovely memories being back here. Well, let's talk a little bit of those about those memories. So you started in Trent at Trent in 1971, uh, which which really was still in the foundational years uh, of this university. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously, the campus looks different. We're going to get to that in a second uh, because there's new buildings, uh, completely different landscape. Uh, but how has the human landscape changed, uh, or has it? Um, how, how does Trent feel to you in the last, this past week uh, compared to the early yeah. 70s? Well. Um, this is the perhaps the most haunting part of my my visit, mm-hmm. and because I, when I was at Trent and and after I left Trent, going on to graduate schools and then my career later on, the one thing that I took with me from Trent, of course, is always this very intimate uh, intellectual atmosphere, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, which I really think it it, it, it imprinted uh, on me. Uh, in, in a very profound way. Uh, so the last few days being back here talking to a lot of students and uh, faculty members and so on, and even though 
I understand the population mm-hmm. uh, is now about three times bigger compared to yeah. when I was there. Right? Well, it was two thousand people when I was uh, at Trent in the early seventies. It's now about six thousand. That's so, over seven. Yeah, uh, so. over seven. Okay. So, so, uh, and yet, I I really sense that that spirit is still very much here. You know, uh, it's very informal, very intimate, a lot of interaction, mm-hmm. um, and to me, that's really the hallmark of, of Trent. Right. You know, the Trent experience. Well, we can we can have you back to serve some sherry if if you'd like. Uh, well, I I now have more clean shirts than before, oh, yeah. so so I'm sure I, I probably can do a better job than Actually, what I did. We should we should have arranged to have some sherry here for you as as uh, before the interview. You before mean, the probably. interview, that would have been yeah. even, even yeah. more fun. Yeah. Uh, so I was talking to, to Lee Hayes, the director of Alumni Affairs, about your tour of Trent yesterday. Uh, and, and in fact, I was talking to you this morning after you'd just gotten back from the athletic complex. And, uh, and she said, and, and I noted, that uh, you were pretty excited about what you saw here on campus. And that, mm-hmm. that the questions that you asked, uh, the comments that you made, made it, made it really clear that your, your interest was piqued. And uh, so I'm curious as to how Trent looks now not just as, as an alum from back in the mm-hmm. 70s, uh, but through the, the prism of someone who has made uh, an exceptional career balancing the academic, uh, the social, and the economic. Mm-hmm. Well, well and Donald, to be honest, you know, um, uh, when I was, you know, uh, um, uh, being uh, uh, guided to, you know, uh, uh, this, this tour, visiting the, the various uh, facilities and, and so on, Trent, um, I... Um, automatically put on my sort of uh, uh, economist mm-hmm. hat, right? Um, and um, and I started to think, you know, what is the the, the competitive advantage of Trent yeah. in the world today? Whether you like it or not, you know, uh, it will be part of the global uh, market, mm-hmm. and and Trent is no exception, right? And Trent's small. Yeah, uh, and so we, we're not going to get the scale like uh, UBC or U of T and so on. And chances are we're not going to get you know the same kind of, of funding either, mm-hmm. right? So so the, the the challenge really is that so that's what I was probing, talking to you know some of the best you know teachers and researchers at Trent that I met is very very impressive. Is to how to create uh, a a a competitive and sustainable, a competitive mm-hmm. and sustainable niche for Trent, such that I, I hope you know the Trent spirit that I experience, yeah. right, uh, can continue. Uh, uh, you see that the, the, I think the, the most undesirable position for a small university today in Canada is to be caught in between the big comprehensive uh, uh, universities, mm-hmm. and yet it's too big to retain the uh, unique uh, uh, atmosphere and and a unique capacity to uh, to, to educate students in in you know uh, 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 intimate, intensive, uh, stimulating and and rewarding fashion. So 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 that that's a a, a risk I think yeah. you know uh, as trend getting gradually bigger, then you're losing that that uniqueness mm-hmm. of being small, and yet you're not big enough. To, mm-hmm. to be in the league of the, the big comprehensive universities. And then the question is, what are you? Right? Yeah. So, so that, that's what really uh, uh, I, I started to ask questions and, and 
you know, a lot of very thought-provoking, you know, feedbacks and comments and so on. But but that's really the, the context within which I, I was probing and, and try to understand a bit better, you know, how, how trend can really retain its unique values and be successful, you know, uh, going forward. And, and I've been fascinated to, to watch it as well as a person who has been uh, in Peterborough and, and, and associated with Trent University for a number of years, uh, where this small university is, is all of a sudden doing fascinating work in in things like uh, in DNA and having a new DNA cluster, uh, and and focusing on uh, on innovation um, for uh, you know microeconomic uh, business ideas, uh, starting up a brand new research <laughs> park and things like that, and, and so retaining the small but doing so that in a way that's really uh, trying to affect uh, global change, mm-hmm. so, which I, I suppose has always been our tradition. Well, uh, and, 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 but I, I think that there's a, a real existential element today, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so, um, so I, you know, uh, I hope uh, it's an area that where I can, you know, begin to, to uh, share some ideas with people and so on. Well, it, some of the ideas that you bring to the table are are unique, and I think some of them really fit uh, that 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 Trent mode, that Trent uh, idea. Um, I mentioned that your career has balanced the the academic and and the social and the economic. And, and while you wear a lot of hats and you take on a lot of roles, uh, your your two main gigs. Uh, Chair and Chief Economist for the Academic Advisory Council at MasterCard Center for Inclusive Growth and Global Economic Advisor for MasterCard Worldwide um, have some pretty unique roles. And and there's a lot to unpack in in these roles. Uh, First and foremost, when people think of, uh, of a company like MasterCard, they think financial services, either personal or for business. They think of banking, and this is all fine and good. But then we start looking at some of the words in your job titles, and, and we see academic, we see inclusive. Uh, and these aren't words that you usually bandy about when you're talking about multinational finance. Uh, it, it's more words you would think about something like Trent University. So tell me a bit about the Center for Inclusive Growth and, and right. what it is that this organization does. Yeah, it, it is um, uh, set up as a nonprofit mm-hmm. research center, and its output is meant uh, to contribute uh, to uh, the public good, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we, the whole uh, thrust of the center is to to uh, identify uh, partners, commission, uh, independent research, and mm-hmm. share. Uh, the findings uh, in the widest way possible, or with the, the the view toward how can we make globalization work better for everyone, mm-hmm. right? So, so uh, the tagline that I I put together uh, uh, is meant to be a bit provocative: is, is that we want to advance uh, economic freedom uh, for the poor, mm-hmm. right? Um, a lot of people have been advancing economic free- freedom for the non-poor for a yes. long time, <laughs> right? And it's about time that we advance economic f- freedom for the poor. Now, but that should not be seen as somehow a a dichotomous sort of you know uh, existence. Like you know, so you have a, a for-profit 
big multinational global company here, and then you have a non-profit as mm -hmm. if there's some kind of you know two you know, uh, uh, solitudes and uh, one is set up just to buy some goodwill. I mean, mm -hmm. that would be the cynical, superficial way of looking mm -hmm. at it. Um, whereas uh, 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 my approach and, 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 and a lot of colleagues uh, within the company uh, have, you know, very much uh, literally, you know, uh, uh, supported and, and committed to, to making this work is based on the notion that that's a really, really powerful common ground mm -hmm. uh, between for-profit businesses and non-profit objectives. Mm -hmm. Now, let me explain, especially in, in the global context. For many, many global companies, and I'm not uh, limiting myself to just Western type of global companies, because increasingly we have global companies emerging from other parts of the world, right? And they're getting bigger and more uh, important. Mm -hmm. Whoever they are, where they they're from, for global companies, uh, they're better off yep. if we have a more prosperous, peaceful, and more equitable mm -hmm. global economy. Period. Yeah. Okay. So uh, that's really the the bottom line for me, uh, and and my mission has been, you know, uh, to convince people uh, uh, that that they should really. Pay attention to this and support it, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so I've had some successes and you know and some failures too, uh, but within the the mascot organization, from in the board uh, and the CEO Dang, uh, the, the commitment is very very strong mm -hmm. because they can see very very clearly that uh, this is true. Yeah, you know. Uh, so it's a it's a case where you know uh, uh, self interest and altruism actually overlap. You know, very, in a very powerful way. Yeah. Well, and there's 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 a skepticism among lay people towards financial organizations, well, especially uh, since the, the the last financial crisis, right? Exactly. Yes. Uh, in 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 North America, I mean, it, it's weighted more heavily towards to the states because of the nature of their mm -hmm. of of their banking organizations. Uh, but there's there's a skepticism amongst most lay people, anyways. Uh, but when it comes to MasterCard taking an altruistic stance, uh, when it comes to global economic development, you're bringing in a wide variety of partners. So you're you're bringing in business partners, you're bringing in government agencies, governments, uh, academia, the NGO sector, uh, and a lot of these potential stakeholders have not been natural bedfellows with absolutely uh, correct. Like Donald. So how do how do they how do they see yeah. you coming yeah. in? Well, it's it's a very interest, interesting uh, journey. Uh, I, I I think you hit on a, a really critical area, um, and of course, you know, when when we started to 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 you know commission independent research and try to share the, the, the findings with uh, you know, uh, practitioners, NGOs, and so on. Uh, the initial reaction is always uh, one of skepticism, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and, you know, it covers the whole, whole gamut. In fact, you know, we, we've been dismissed by people, you know, mm -hmm. offhand. This is this absolute nonsense, you know. What would a global company have to do with this? And uh, so the reactions, uh, I think, stem from... Uh, several sort of uh, sources. Uh, one is that just the sheer novel novelty of it all, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you have to sort of get 
learn to get adjusted to it. Uh, and second, secondly, is that that you know a lot of these people who have committed to what to do what they're doing uh, uh, have opted not to work with uh, the private sector, mm-hmm. right? And they, they're always seen as the big bad guys, yeah. right? So that has a, a sort of uh, their own sort of cultural, you know, uh, orientation, the organizational or practitioner's culture. And uh, thirdly, is that there is, I must say, uh, not often, but now and again, a pushback coming from them because they feel that we are intruding upon the turfs, mm-hmm. right? They, 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 they say, well, this is our job, right? Yeah. So, you know, it belongs to us. And, you know, so um, all of that need to be uh, managed and, and, and with patience and persistence and, and goodwill and, and honesty, really. Uh, most of uh, uh, them can be, you know, uh, uh, all these uh, objections and, and pushback can be overcome. Um, but, but it's important because we need to build bridges. Mm-hmm. Uh, the task is so big. Uh, and no one has all the answers, yeah. right? So, so our sort of uh, strategic approach is to create networks, yeah. right? Networks of some of the best academic thinkers, thought leaders in, in these areas, that the practitioners who's got the best experiences and success records, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in different continents, different regions of different continents and, and so on, uh, and other multinationals, mm-hmm. and say, we got a partner. And of course, the government, you know. So, uh, public-private partnership is a really important sort of uh, component uh, of our uh, approach. And 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 you try to do so through a number of ways. I mean, this is this is a multifaceted approach that that uh, that, the, that the center takes. Um, the mandate is is to partner with leading economists and institutions uh, to better understand the drivers of, of inclusion and of growth. Um, uh, and to other ideas, the uh, unlocking big data mm-hmm. is, is what uh, uh, the center claims to do, and, and analytics in order to inform research efforts uh, and help governments and nonprofits uh, deliver better public services. Well, let's start with there. First of all, I mean, when when you start throwing around data concepts like big data, people are already starting to get lost. What, what, what are we hitting on here when we're talking about that as an approach yeah, to, and, to making better services? Yeah, yeah. But big data, basically, is just uh, another source of, of information. Okay. Okay. Uh, but it's big in the sense that, you know, you're talking about really high frequency observations, mm-hmm. and sometimes you're talking about, you know, gazillion, you know, pieces of, of observation uh, or data point uh, per second kind of thing. And it's big, oftentimes it's across the world, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but for for MasterCard, for instance, uh, I think I, I can quote you the exact, you know, numbers uh, in terms of uh, transactions, you know, uh, by individuals or uh, corporate members and so on. So you're talking about billions and billions, you know. Okay. Uh, now, a lot of times, the patterns observed from the uh, uh, such transactions in, in different parts of the world and so on actually is turned out to be really, really useful for researchers okay. to understand 
a, a different set of dynamics in, 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 in global connectivity, for instance, in the flow, uh, not just of funds, but of, that the flow of funds sometimes represents, reflects the flow of other things like ideas, connections, reaching out to, you know, uh, uh, seek uh, information or, or, or forming new uh, uh, enterprises and, and partnership. So uh, unlocking it is to, to basically work out how we can share such information mm -hmm. in a way that uh, privacy is perfectly protected and, yep. and, and, and safeguard, uh, and yet in a form that is use, useful for independent researchers okay. to, to actually explore uh, an area that they could not do so before, Okay, right? So we, we've done that uh, in partnership with, with uh, the Center for International Development at Harvard mm -hmm. University, right? We're exploring partnership with others as well. Uh, so instead of, well, not instead of, but in addition to provide funding supports to, you know, some of these world-leading researchers, uh, we, we're looking at providing data support mm -hmm. as well. So that kind of levels the playing field because formerly, uh, the flow of, of data, mm -hmm. um, whether it be financial or whether it be mm -hmm. uh, informational, uh, it was the domain of uh, of large financial organizations mm -hmm. or large data corporations like like Google or, mm -hmm. or things like that. So allowing people uh, better access to data, which is really the future in which they're going to reach their markets. Yes, very so, much so. Yeah, uh, and, yeah, and and don't that this like. Uh, just one more point on that is that once such data become more readily available, uh, research will change. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll, I'll give you a very simple example, and that, that has nothing to do with with the, actually Mascar's data. Somebody else's big data, yeah. right? Uh, in in uh, in Caracas, in, in Colombia, um, they they actually look at local entrepreneurs and the the frequency. Uh, that they talk to each other on a mobile phone. Yeah. Okay. So there's a sample that's being created, and again, uh, privacy is protected. They have ways of sort of uh, uh, deleting all the personal details, so mm -hmm. you just end up with a, 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 a anonymous set of data reflecting frequency and patterns and so on. Um, and um, it actually, you know, they, they work out how uh, mobile connectivity is correlated with uh, small enterprises' productivity. Okay. Okay. Now, that's if you can really prove that, you know, uh, that gives you all kinds of ideas about how then we can improve the productivity of, of small businesses, mm -hmm. you know, on small entrepreneurs everywhere. So, so that's a new frontier that that could not have been been possible without you know that kind of data support. Well, and it it, it delivers not just the tools but the uh, the the information that makes these tools much more effective, yes. and so data is is something that is a bit more difficult for people to wrap their heads around, um, and, and which is why I say the there's an importance that this is a multifaceted approach because there are more traditional ways that you are involved as well, uh, and 
for instance, providing providing means for which uh, micro entrepreneurs, smaller smaller companies and individuals, uh, are able to interact with the, the larger formal economy. Um, can you give us some ideas uh, or examples of of programs uh, that have helped elevate these these micro uh, mm-hmm. companies? Yeah. Well, the, the our premise, mm-hmm. and we tested this in, in many many countries, and we totally you know, convinced that that is indeed the case. And that is the premise is that the, the, the only sustainable pathway for a lot of the underdeveloped poor countries uh, to move is to really have a strong foundation in micro-entrepreneurship. In other words, you know, the non-technical way of putting it is that ordinary people, whatever, wherever they're from, uh, if they, they have an idea, Mm-hmm. Uh, they have the ambition, uh, they have the drive. They should have a supporting environment in which, you know, their talent can succeed according to, you know, their, 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 their capability as mm-hmm. opposed to uh, being denied such uh, opportunities uh, from the word go, right? So poverty oftentimes, you know, persists because actually a lot of talented Ambitious young people could not get ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay, they, there's blockages every step of the way, you know. So it's no no lack of ambition or entrepreneurship. But these are the people. Should they be successful, will be generating employment and income for mm-hmm. other people, and so on and so forth. That's the most sustain, sustainable pathway, you know. Uh, and 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 so that's what we try to do, mm-hmm. right? To to support social entrepreneurship that has the biggest impact. Or on the, the, the jargon is the bottom of the pyramid, mm-hmm. right? But uh, we believe that's where the, the biggest impact will come from. And it, it makes me wonder. So we we take a look at what the Center for Inclusive Growth is doing, uh, which is not only trying to help ensure the ways and means of financial success, but growing um, a a more Robust middle class, pushing people up from oh, yes. from from the lower classes yeah. in order yeah. to in order to make, ensure that there is a bigger flow uh, of money. Why aren't more organizations looking at this and saying, okay, well, if we if we create a larger pool of wealth among our consumers, mm-hmm. then it's going to lead to I, better economic yeah, growth uh, for our company. Yeah, good point. Don't, I don't, don't know. I suppose there's two two answers to that. The first answer is is that. For a lot of organizations, especially in uh, the NGO uh, practitioner community, is that because they're out there to, to help people, mm-hmm. right, with, with the, the, the best of the intentions and so on. And I'm not saying that that happens all the time, but sometimes um, the recipients then is being seen as a bit passive. They, okay. They're the victims. They need help, hmm. right? Uh, Whereas we, we, we turn that notion upside down. We, yeah. we, what we're arguing is that these are the people that, that, that will create a whole new future mm-hmm. in their own community, in their country, or whatever, in the world. These are really, really important people. Uh, they are powerful potentially. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, they, they're handicapped by, you know, for, for, for a variety of reasons. And our job is not to look at them as, as passive victims and then we we, 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 we we give things to them no we, we, we work with them mm-hmm. to make sure that you know blockages barriers uh, are removed so they can thrive 
and, and, and succeed. So that's the first answer. Mm-hmm. The second answer is that, related to the first, is that that process takes time. Okay. To begin with, you have to win the battle of ideas, right? And that's tough, mm-hmm. I tell you. you know? uh, secondly, is that, that even if you've won the battle of ideas to get things moving on the ground, you need to be persistent. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen in a month. It's not going to happen in a year, right? You have to persist. And, and, and that goes against the grain of the quarterly <laughs> report of your earnings. And that mm-hmm. kind of mentality, right? You know, so yes, you know, people can buy the notion that, mm-hmm. yeah, great, you know, uh, uh, a world with a, a, a prosperous, expanding middle class is good for a- everyone. Uh, and then my next thought is that, well, Donald, when's it going to happen now? And you say, wow, let's work on it for the next five years. I say, yeah. wow, okay, tell me when it happens. <laughs> Meantime, right, I have to make some money. Yeah, who's, uh, who's paying for uh, that? Who's paying for this? So, so you have to get people out of the rut, right, mm-hmm. of this short-termism and looking at it as a, as a worthwhile long-term investment. So those are the two answers. I don't yeah. know if they make sense to you. No, they do. And, and I look at it economically, and it makes sense because, you know, when you've got your quarterly report or your annual, mm-hmm. annual report, you've, you've got stakeholders that you have to meet. And interestingly, because you work with... And by the way, you should. You, you should, should ignore yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, in, like, in like so many different sectors in, in uh, the environmental sector, recognizing the fact that if we go to more sustainable forms of, of energy, it, you know... This is this is actually going to be a, a financial gain, not a financial loss. But it's harder it's harder to convince people of that while still trying to maintain your bottom line. And then you work with governments and, mm-hmm. and say the government of Canada or mm-hmm. a provincial government that have four year mandates, and mm-hmm. and so yes. you're yes. you're trying to make long term change. Mm-hmm. But expecting that they're going to do it before, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. well, during their their, yeah. their year and before well, before election time. <laughs> well, you you better find ways to show some spectacular results before <laughs> they face right the next election. You know, um. Um, the so you you talk about removing barriers. Um, you talk about equity. Uh, you talk about sustainability, and this all resonates as language that are that's used by 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 activists and uh and what you're doing sounds an awful lot like advocacy work uh you i think it, it sounds that at a, at a macro level you're advocating on behalf of poor members of society and trying to expand a middle class and, and i think uh, advocacy experts around the world are looking at the shrinking middle class and saying okay well the 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 upper echelon has been getting bigger the the, the lower is, is getting getting wider and uh, is, is it fair to call this advocacy well, work don't I, I i i hope um, we're doing more than just advocacy and that's why i think independent research is so important okay because i i think we are actually uh, engaging uh, some of the best minds uh, in the world to actually prove through very rigorous research yeah. that this is the approach, uh, as opposed to just you know stick it out as if it's a form of truism, and, yeah. and, and you know, uh, uh, and 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 we, that's why we all must you know fall in line and do it because this is a good thing to do. Well, no, we, we we try. So so some of our uh, research partners are actually, as we speak, uh, publishing in leading journals. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, the, the 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 analysis the findings uh, uh, verifying uh, uh, the approach that we we we've taken 
It's not always positive. There's mm-hmm. criticisms, and so, but which is great because then we understand where the the shortcomings yeah. are, right? What we, do, we need to do next, and so on. But we we encourage them. We we exercise no control mm-hmm. over what they do. We want you know independent verification, right? So yes, advocacy is is there, uh, but I I would like to think that that is backed by really robust uh, a, a robust and, and rigorous research program. Well, this is, and this is interesting because the work that you're doing, uh, chairing an organization that is balancing uh, the the needed altruism that is that that goes into helping, but making sure that it is backed by uh, by hard research and uh, well, let's look at your your education uh, at Trent University. You took philosophy uh, and and political science and economics, which is exactly the the building blocks that goes into saying okay well let's do something for the moral good but let's make sure that it's backed up by the reason <laughs> and the science uh, that are needed so is is it, is it fair to say that your that your tread experience is helping guide guide this process well i <laughs> I, I it would be nice to be able to think so Tono. Uh, but i i i i really think i should be a lot more modest about this uh, and it's not like I have a some kind of you know grand plan you yeah. know for my career. To be honest, uh, uh, the way I look at myself in terms of my 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 careers is, is really one you know uh, serendipitous step after another. <laughs> I mean, I, I have absolutely no plan. Uh, and and in fact, sometimes I look back and just. God, scratch my head and how did I get here? You know, uh, but but the, but but there's, there is a a a a thread uh, of continuity uh, on along all this, and and that is again I I would come back to my experience at Trent. Um, you know, first you know uh, at Trent I had the opportunity, like like as you pointed out, get a grounded my basic education in a very very diversified. Uh, a multi-dimensional way, uh, and I think that uh, that's increasingly rare, mm-hmm. you know, uh, anywhere, not just in Canada. Um, we we we're becoming much more industrialized uh, in in you know, doing our undergrad education. Um, the the second though is that um, uh, because the 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 opportunity for for me to interact in a very very intimate. Uh, um, Daily fashion with some of the really eminent scholars, you know, uh, at Trent at the time, um, taught me about a lot about authority. Hmm. First, you're not in. I was not intimidated by authority because very quickly, you know, you just had this wonderful conversation with this guy sitting across the table over lunch for the first time, and later on you found out he's the world authority on Shakespeare, you know, kind of thing, yeah. right? And so you 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 you're not intimidated, or to, which I think is is a problem for young people, right? Mm-hmm. In the beginning, starting your career, you, you, because you you got plucked into uh, a, a, a pre-existing hierarchy, right? So our effectiveness actually I think uh, is hampered uh, when that happens. So, but but trend the trend experience actually uh, uh, sort of endowed me with uh, uh, the ability to think better for myself. Mm-hmm. And, and and deal a lot better with respect to hierarchy and authority and so on, you know. 
and that opened up new opportunities i think and and you've been associated with uh, with the universities since your time at Trent, you did your PhD uh, at mm-hmm. Simon Fraser, yeah. and then you mm-hmm. became an adjunct professor at UBC mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and and at Fudan University. Yes. And then I, I, I taught as a visiting uh, uh, professor at the uh, the Graduate School of Business, uh, University of Chicago in Singapore, and so yeah. on. So yeah, a number of places. Yes. So you you have a, a pretty unique viewpoint of of both the the practical and academic. Uh, process that goes into becoming um, or, or having a meaningful career in in uh, in the financial sector, and and I'm wondering what kind of advice you have as as a person who is uh, as an academic, uh, an educator, uh, and as a financial expert uh, for people who want to carve out something that is meaningful. Uh, we we talked before about the fact that there are there's no shortages of careers and rewarding. Uh, financially rewarding careers uh, in the economic sector, but for those who want to keep their their, their moral compass, uh, mm-hmm. what advice do you have for carving out a meaningful career mm-hmm. in the finances? Well, um, if it is the financial sector that we're talking about, mm-hmm. right, uh, to even get to play in that sector, you have to have uh, pretty rigorous prerequisites mm-hmm. these days, you know. Uh, so you, you, you've got to be really well trained yeah. in the basics, you know. Uh, quantitative methods, you know, uh, and finance getting increasingly sort of uh, uh, technical, mm-hmm. you know, um, and and but these are you know prerequisites to get into the door, right? And and the second challenge is that uh, the financial sector, more so than any other industry I can think of, uh, operate on a very short-term basis, mm-hmm. and so a lot of personal rewards are tied up with extremely short-term performance uh, for, for a variety of reasons, you know. Uh, and uh, that often skewed uh, uh, how we see uh, our, our role in life, as it were, uh, our careers and so on. Because if you, you start to chop it down into like small, small bits and always dealing with small bits, mm-hmm. then you very quickly, you, you could lose the big picture, mm-hmm. right? So those are the challenges. Um, and... Um, uh, but at the end of the day, I really think uh, you have to be authentic, yeah. who you are. Uh, short-term incentives and so on uh, very often uh, uh, would, would sort of skew us toward uh, superficial uh, performance and uh, behavior. Um, so you have to be vigilant, and, 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 and especially, as I, I said earlier, in the financial sector, because the, the incentive is so strong, mm-hmm. so powerful. Uh, and, uh, but my view is that if you can be authentic, uh, you actually stand a much better chance of long-term success. Hmm. So there, there's a certain amount of patience that you probably have to show. Uh, uh, patience and... and uh, Almost and, and some kind of uh, uh, resistance <laughs> to to temptations of just do things that you don't really want to do. But God, if I can get it done next week, yeah. you know, boy, I can I can I can take Donald out for lunch yeah. and not to worry about you know. <laughs> so uh, uh, so so it, it sounds like Star Wars. It sounds like you know that the Force. <laughs> 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 Don't get lured by the dark side. Right. Well, no, no, I, I wouldn't put it that way. It's not, it's not black and white and so on. But you know, but it, it's just the nature of, of 
and and, uh, and look, no, no, I think it, that the same kind of tension, yeah. right? It's not a, a black and white dichotomy, but it's a tension exists in in all industries too. Yeah. You know, but we, we're talking about the finance industry, which you know is a very very incentive driven industry, right? More so than others, but but it exists everywhere. Our economy. Uh, we have you here in, in Peterborough. You live uh, on Salt Spring Island. Uh, you do a lot of work around the world uh, when it comes to doing forecasting of, of global economics. And I'm going to put you on the spot here. I'm going to, I'm going to pull you out of some of the areas that usually work uh, in, in Asia and plunk you back in Canada and, and ask. We've uh, we've got a we've got a brand new government that has a very very different attitude towards. Uh, national financial growth. Um, we, we are in an era where many of our, our national eggs are put into one basket, uh, which, which is oil, which um, if you look at it on, on a positive side is in a rocky place. If you were more pessimistic, you'd say it's, it's bottoming out completely. Um, how, do, how does, as a, as a global economist and a person who forecasts, What's Canada looking like for you? Well, I think we're actually in a very critical juncture. Mm -hmm. um, if I, I put Canada in the global context. Uh, first of all, you know, I really think Canada suffered the last decade, uh, the classic Dutch disease. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, for those who's not familiar with the term, what it really meant uh, is referring to the experience in the 1960s when, when, when the Netherlands discovered natural gas. It started exporting big time drove up its exchange rate. So the rest of the industries in the Netherlands became totally uncompetitive and eventually actually died off. Uh, so that's hence what we call the Dutch disease and it applied perfectly to Canada. You know, the, the, as you may remember, the, the very high price of oil, you know, drove up the Canadian dollar, right? And which hollowed out our manufacturing sector elsewhere, and not just that the boom went on for so long that the rest of Canada and the rest of Canadian industries actually pivoted toward the oil sector, mm -hmm. started serving the oil sector, and so on. Now, earlier you said, you know, uh, 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 depending on where you stand with respect to oil, you can be very pessimistic or less. So, I'm actually in in, in the very pessimistic camp. You know, uh, the, the, I, I really think we're beginning to see the end of the era of oil. Uh, that's how ra radical I am, mm -hmm. right? So coming back to Canada, uh, so assuming for the moment I'm right, and there's no guarantee that I am, but assuming that I'm right that, that we really cannot count on a quick return of a uh, higher world price of oil mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, get things moving again in Alberta, what do we do? Uh, well, um, I, I really think for a high-income country like Canada, increasingly the way to make a living uh, is not to think of exporting things, mm -hmm. but exporting ideas, uh, knowledge, uh, entrepreneurship, uh, technology. Uh, that's, I think, our future. Now, we're seeing uh, very promising glimpses of that, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and in the last uh, two, two, three years, it's, it's clearly assisted by the much cheaper Canadian dollar. Silicon Valley is moving north, mm. you know, uh, because of the, the critical mass 
or the several universities in 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 the lower mainland area in British Columbia, you know, mm-hmm. American companies actively setting up their operations, taking advantage of our bright, talented, well-trained, well-educated young people. And these are all in different fields of technology and services. Got nothing to do with making things, right? Yeah. Right. But better ideas of serving the market and so on, leveraging technology in different ways. Um, so now, I, I, my understanding, and cor- correct me if I'm wrong, Donald, uh, the, 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 the federal government is, is prepared to basically you know, undertake a lot of fiscal spending, mm-hmm. uh, uh, risking a much higher budget deficit and so on. Uh, I think in principle, uh, is correct. Yeah. Okay, but I'm not sort of your classical Keynesians, you know, fiscal policy will get you out of, you know, the hole every time. It may not be, but I, I agree with the government's approach on, on one simple basis, and that is we, we, we're still stuck in, in zero interest rate. Mm-hmm. If you need to borrow money, there's no better time. Yeah. Okay, so we can service our debt a lot easier. Uh, the question then is what do you do with that money? Yeah. All right. Um, I really think the priority should be investing in our young people, hmm. okay? Uh, and uh, really move heaven and earth to make it easier for young entrepreneurs to succeed, for younger people to get a better education, cheaper uh, and, and, and easier, uh, and then create a, an environment where they can, they can thrive, right? Um, so, so that to me is the priority. Uh, that's consistent with my view that the best way to make a living for advanced countries in the global economy today is if you can make money with knowledge. And, and is there resistance? I mean, the, the, the economy for so many years in Canada has been based on, well, on staples. And before, before it was yeah, oil, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. been lumber, it's uh, been... Uh, yeah. um, no, no, there, there will be d- d- dislocations. Yeah. It's already there, there. And, and there are, so, so, so it's, I, I can just see critics, right, yeah. uh, 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 challenging me and say, well, it's, it's easy for you to say, young people, young people, education, training, entrepreneurship. What about, what about the 45, 55-year-old uh, oil field workers just lost the jobs, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, and what, what would they do, right? And, and it's a valid question, yeah. right? So to balance the, the, the focus on moving forward, uh, you know, driving the economy into a more knowledge, you know, intensive economy, what we need to do is to make sure that the safety net mm-hmm. is secure because there are and there will continue to be uh, people who get left behind, right? Um, and uh, that, that's the, 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 the unavoidable uh, byproduct of, of the market economy. Yeah. When you have winners, you have losers. And many losers will become winners, you know, as the business cycle turns, but there are a proportion of them that will get left behind for good. Mm-hmm. And I think a compassionate society should have the requisite, you know, uh, uh, wherewithal uh, to care for these people. We're almost out of time, um, but I, I, I want to wrap up by asking what is next for you, Hedrick Wong? Uh, you're in a stage of your career where you're impacting change uh, in unique ways and, and probably in ways that you couldn't have imagined at the beginning of your career. Um, but you're, you're also 
a, a person who appears to enjoy seeing new projects and new programs come to life, uh, which, I mean, is the very nature of, of the center. Uh, but so what, what can we expect to see from you next? Well, um, well, uh, the, the, the immediate future is that uh, I, I, I'm going to keep committing myself to, to make sure that the center uh, can really do what it's set up to do. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we, we still have a long way to go. Right. Okay. The center is only two years old. Um, and uh, we're beginning to get, you know, uh, some successes and so on. But, you know, uh, uh, we, we really need to, to really make sure that the foundation is solid. You know, investment of this kind, to be honest, uh, you're talking about uh, nothing less than five and probably ten years, mm-hmm. right, before you really get solid results, you know. making I'm talking about results meaning making a difference, yeah. real difference in the world, right? Um, so, so I, I think in the, in the immediate future, that's really my, my priority. Uh, but at the same time, though, is that uh, because I, I moved back to Canada in 2011, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I'm still educating myself as to, to what's going on. Because yeah. I, 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 my wife and I, we, we lived overseas for, for 25 years, yeah. 26 years before moving back, right? Uh, and uh, so I like to actually get a bit more involved, hmm. you know, uh, back in Canada, um, um, do my bits, as it were, you know, uh, uh, and hopefully that, that will happen. Yeah. Well, if you're ever looking to get involved uh, with Trent University, uh, you know, drop us a line. I, I can think of many, many ways okay. in which. Well, thank you. I, I, and it's I, I not may... just not just serving Sherry either. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And Donald, you, t- you may just hear from me on that. You, uh, it has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, please enjoy the rest of your stay here at yeah. Trent University. And let's make sure it's not another 40 years. Okay. Well, you have my promise on that. <laughs> Thank, Thank you very you much, much Donald. Uh, once again, that has been Yua Hedrick Wong. Uh, he's been our guest today on Trent Voices. He's the alumni in residence as part of the alumni in residence program and will be delivering the Harry Kitchen lecture. Uh, that's all the time we have for today. Please come back again next week. In the meantime, be sure to follow us on social media at Trent Alumni on Twitter, the Trent University Alumni Association on Facebook, and the official Trent University Alumni Association on LinkedIn. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.